Good morning. Yeah, it's good to see you. Thanks, Lucas. Um, man, it's good to see everyone. I, I always look forward to these times that God blesses us with every week, uh, that we can come together and worship and uh, just go to God's Word and get instruction from Him. Uh, I actually want to start today by making an apology to you. I've been convicted this past week about uh, just a way that I feel like I've failed you in leading our church, and um, it's caused me to actually change what I was planning on preaching about this morning. So I, I believe I've failed you in the sense that I think I've been leading our church in a way that I haven't had an attitude that's dependent enough on the Lord. <clears throat> I think that we have an attitude that's far too dependent on ourselves and not dependent enough on God. And that's not to say that we don't depend on him at all. I'm not, not saying that. I'm not saying that I don't do that. Um, but I feel like the Lord has kind of just given me a fresh conviction of the depth of just how much we really need him. Um, and how much if we're going to do anything worthwhile as a church, if we're going to have any sort of impact on this campus, if we're actually going to see any sort of changed lives, that we are absolutely and completely desperately in need of him. And so really all I want to do is call us back this morning to a, a simple understanding of our dependence on God. I want us to realize how deep our need is for the Lord, and I want us to seek Him together to move in ways that only He can. So I, we need God to move this morning. I've been praying a ton that He's going to do that. Um, we need Him to move in our church. Like We need Him to move on our campus. We need Him to move in our city and our country in our world. Like, this is a serious war that, that we're in spiritually. Like, our world is really broken. Like, heaven and hell are real things. Eternity is real. And, and guys, we need God to break through and act. And he wants us as his people to call on him. And so I actually just want to start by praying, and then I'll, I'll dive into a little bit more what I want to talk about with this. God, we thank you um, that you really do care for us. Um, I thank you that you're a God that hears the cries of your people, and Lord, that you, you love to work through humble people. Um, but God, if we're going to be humble, we, we need to be people that are dependent on you. So God, I pray that you would come and move this morning. God, I pray that you would break down uh, the, the pride that's in our hearts, the independent nature that we may have, Lord, just open our eyes to, to see how much we really need you. God, I thank you for uh, doing a work in my heart uh, this week even to, to help me see that more. And God, I just pray for us collectively as a church that you'd open our eyes to that more as well. Um, we love you and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Yeah, so I was at a conference this past week uh, for church planters, and um, it was here that God really convicted me of, of what I'm talking about, just this, this reality of how desperately we are in need of him and how we're powerless really to do anything of eternal value aside, a, a, apart from him. And this is like a difficult truth for me to live in, right? Like I, I'm a person that I, I view myself as being able to do a lot of things. I have a lot of energy. I'm usually pretty good at stuff if I put my mind to it, and it can move me into this spot where I can, can be 
a very independent kind of person. And, and I'll bet that most of you are probably the same way. Uh, we live in a culture that was even born out of this idea that you can build the kind of life that you want to if you work hard enough for it. And this rugged individualism and the self-determination that's a big part of our culture in some ways, in some ways, I think that's actually a great thing. Like there's a lot that, that's, that's good about it. It's good to understand uh, personal responsibility, right? And the opportunity that, that you have to make choices that will dictate the kind of life that, that you're gonna live. Like this is good because when you realize that you actually have the ability to make choices that have consequences, that can drive you to make good decisions. If none of your decisions matter, then you have no incentive to try and, and make good ones. Um, God warned Cain uh, way back in Genesis 4. You know, he's one of the first people that walked the earth. He, he tried to help him, Cain realize, hey, you have power to make decisions that are going to shape the course of your life. I look at this in Genesis 4, 3 to 7. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And so we see right here, like this is fourth chapter of the Bible, right? Like God is, is helping Cain understand you have a problem and you have, some, you have a choice that you can make. You can either kind of just continue to, to sit and have a, a pity party and be angry, or you can choose to make a better decision about something that's going to improve your life. And it's cool that God gives us this, this kind of ability to make meaningful choices, that have meaningful consequences. Um, it, it's also, it's, it's good because it helps us make good decisions in the first place. And then if we find ourselves even in a spot where we've made a bad decision, it helps keep hope alive, right? Like even if you find yourself in a spot that's messed up, you have hope that you can make decisions and do things that are going to help get you out of that spot. So this is cool. Like this is good. It's, it's, it's biblical to understand that we do actually have a certain level of power to affect the things in our world and the, and the way that our lives turn out. However, in this healthy realization, we need to understand that yes, we can make consequential choices, but sometimes it can be taken too far. And in seeing that we have the ability to shape the, wor uh, the way that the world looks, sometimes we forget the one that shaped the world itself. And it can lead us to a level of independence that's unhealthy. We do have power that God has given us. We do have ability that God has given us, but it is limited. The only reason that we have any power to make consequential choices at all is because God has given it to us. You know, he created us in his image. That comes with some pretty cool abilities, right? Like human beings, we have the ability to shape this world and make decisions that are different than any other kind of creature, right? Like I, I, don't, I don't think dogs or, or monkeys or anything have that much uh, thought that they can put into actually shaping the way that their life turns out. They kind of just go about by instinct. You and I, like God, God has, has made us in his image. We reflect him in a lot of ways. And we can do things that other creatures can't. But even though he's given us all of this power and this ability, it still doesn't mean that we'll ever outgrow the need that we have for him. See, when a child's born, 
it is totally dependent upon its parents for everything. And they kind of understand that, right? Especially when they really come out of the womb, they literally need you everything. They, they need your help to eat. They need your help to stay clean. They need your help to move. They even need your help to fall asleep. That was a hard one for me to learn as a new dad. Um, but like, as that child gets older, they start to become more and more independent from their parents. They start to pick up skills and abilities where uh, they don't need you to do absolutely everything for them anymore. And this is actually a healthy part of human development, right? Like you want your child to grow in independence so they don't need you for every single thing. Uh, my daughter Anya, she just turned two recently and uh, she's starting to show this. She, she still can't read yet, um, but she likes to read certain books all by herself. Uh, yeah, so, so, and what that means is she, we've read the book to her enough times that she's memorized what certain pages say. So then she'll flip through the, the book and, and read the word on the page. She can't actually read, um, but, but she's trying to grow in independence. And that's good. That's healthy. Um, as, a, as a matter of fact, as we get older and older, we get more and more competent. We start to get more independent, eventually to the point where you don't need your parents at all for survival. Right? And that's good. That's by God's design because most children outlive their parents. So you better learn how to be able to live and survive without them. And so with this progression in our culture, independence is actually seen as a sign of maturity. Right? Like the more mature you are, the more independent you'll become. It shows that you've grown to the point that you don't need help from others to be able to accomplish the things you want to do in life. But things don't work quite the same way in God's kingdom. You see, from an earthly perspective, we have to grow independent from our parents as we mature. But when you become a Christian, you're actually adopted into a new family. You become a child of God. John 1, 12 to 13 says, But all who did receive him, he, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so while independence might be a sign of maturity in our culture, it's actually the opposite in kingdom culture. In God's kingdom, dependence is a sign of maturity. Dependence on God shows that we're seeing reality for what it truly is. We may outgrow the need that we have for our parents in this life, and we may even become wiser than them at some point. But we're never going to outgrow the need that we have for our Heavenly Father. We're never going to become wiser than him. And it's actually a sign of immaturity if we ever start to think or live in a way that, we, that, that uh, suggests we've outgrown him or our need for him. There are so many ways that we are absolutely dependent on God. And it really just becomes a matter of, are we mature enough to actually see this? Okay, some of the ways that, that we're just absolutely dependent on God. First off, like, we need him for our very lives. Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. This is like the most basic of truths, right? That, that God created things, we need him for life. Um, but it, it's, it's worth stating because this is really important. If you remember the fact that your life doesn't come from you, uh, I actually think that that can make a difference in the way that you see how dependent you are on God. We know that we couldn't have just come out of nowhere, but we often live our lives as if we did. We worship and pursue other things while we neglect the one that actually gives us life. 
The prophet Daniel pointed out how foolish this is to uh, the uh, Babylonian king named Belshazzar. He said, You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Just remembering this simple truth that we're people that were created by God. He's the one that gives us life. That makes a big difference. Having a conscious recognition of this and having gratitude. You know, thankful people live very different lives than ungrateful people, don't they? Think of that. Your life experience will be significantly impacted by whether you live life as a person that is thankful or as a person that is ungrateful. And if you never even think about the fact that you were created and given life by God, you are naturally going to be more ungrateful than a person that consistently wakes up and thanks the Lord for the very life that they're given every single day. Think about it. Which kind of person is more pleasant to be around, the thankful person or the ungrateful person? Which kind of person has more joy in their life, the thankful person or the ungrateful person? If we fail to recognize how we need God even for life itself, we will fail to be thankful for him, right? And consequently, by even missing out on this simple fact that God created us and we can thank him for it every day, we will miss out on a lot of the joy that God wants us to have in life. And so not only do we need God for life itself, but we need God to show us how to live this life. What is it that's good? I love this in Psalm 19, 7 through 11. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. We're actually way worse at figuring out what's good for us than you may think that we are, right? Like, I was actually just thinking about this the other day, um, not when I was preparing for this sermon, but it's just kind of one of those weird thoughts that came to my head. I'm like, how do you know what's healthy? I realize, like, like I, I, I know that broccoli is good for me and that cheesecake is bad for me, but I only know that because someone told me, right? Like, it isn't, it isn't like, readily apparent to me just by looking. Matter of fact, if I was just, like, a totally ignorant person, I, I might think that the cheesecake is good for me because that's the one that tastes good, right? Like, that's the one, that's the one that I want to eat. The broccoli's not. It, it's, th- there's so many things that are, are good for us that we aren't always apparent on the surface. And sometimes there are a lot of things that are bad for us, and that, that's not always apparent on the surface either. We like to think that we're way smarter and way wiser than we actual, actually are. And how foolish it is for us to think that we can go through this life without any sort of guidance from the Lord and showing us what is actually good. Praise God that he's given us his law to show us these kind of things. You see how the psalmist is rejoicing here in Psalm 19 because, yeah, praise God, he's, he's told us how to live and what is right. I can tell you right now, I would have caused myself a lot more pain and destruction in my life if I didn't know Jesus and follow his commands. Like, it's, just, it's just pure and simple. Sin is destructive, and I see it. I see it in the world around me. I see it in the lives of people that I know. And and frankly, I know that I would have been walking into a lot of those exact same sins because in my flesh, I desire some of those same things. Like it's way more natural for me to be selfish than it is to be unselfish. But which one actually brings more joy in life? 
Selfishness never is gonna, it's never gonna bring you joy. But it's so natural to be selfish. We need the Lord to actually teach us not to be that way. You know, we see, we've been going through this kingdom culture series and uh, with that, we've seen that God's culture of his kingdom is so much better than the one that we live in. But in all of these kind of things, we're going to naturally drift towards kind of propagating this current culture we live in unless we see and hear the word of the Lord and, and have our hearts and our minds transformed to see that his way is actually better. So man, like I, I realize that the older I've gotten to, like just how much I need God's instruction in my life. Because I'm actually not that good. We're not as good as we think we are at being able to figure this out. Another thing I would say that we absolutely need God for is like we need him to save us from sin and death. Like we have a, a serious problem on our hands. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we walk outside of that good design that God's given us and teaching us how to live, like, and we all do, like what we earn for ourselves is death. That is the result of sin. It's utterly destructive, not just in this world, but even into eternity. It's something that separates us from the Lord. That's what we have earned for that. And there is no way that we can fix that on our own. Like the, the Bible, it never gives you this idea that you can all of a sudden somehow wipe out all of these wages of sin that you've earned by being a good person. Instead, it shows us that we are actually helpless and in need of a savior. And that's exactly what God has given to us in Jesus. This is why we, we celebrate uh, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection all the time. We're constantly lifting up the name of Jesus. Why? He's our savior. We were at a spot where we were completely helpless to be able to make our way back to God. And, and frankly, if God gives us death and separation from him, that is exactly what we have earned by the way that we've chosen to live. But by his grace, he said, I'm gonna make a way that's better for you. I'm gonna make a way for you to be able to be forgiven of sin. I'm gonna make a way for you to be able to have eternal life. That when we die, we can actually go to a better place. And it's not, not just an empty platitude that we say at a funeral, but that God actually has something better in store for us because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Romans 5, 6 says, for while we were still sinners at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We are so in need of a Savior. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We're totally dependent on God to give us life. Not just the physical one, but life eternal. You know, another way that we need God is uh, we actually need God to pray for us. We, we are so uh, natural, we, we need to be so dependent on him, we may not realize we actually don't even know how to pray a lot of the time. Look at this, what Romans 8.26 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. How cool is that, that the Holy Spirit is praying for you the way that you actually need to be prayed for? God's wisdom is so much greater than ours. Guys, a lot of time we don't even know the right way to pray. And that's not to say that we shouldn't. Like the Bible definitely tells us to make our requests known to the Lord. But a lot of the time I don't actually know what I need. And thank God that I'm not the only one praying for me. <laughs> like the Holy Spirit is interceding on my behalf. And he knows the will of God. 
He knows what's, what's best to pray for. And I need that. We also need the Lord to fight the battle that we're in. Like, we're in a spiritual battle. The Bible is very clear about this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Mankind's invented a lot of weapons, right? We're actually really good at figuring out ways to kill each other and make new and great and powerful weapons. We never made weapons that can demolish spiritual strongholds. The, the strongest weapons that we've been able to make are, are powerless against the biggest enemies that we actually have. And man, praise God that he's given us weapons to actually be able to fight in this spiritual war that we have. Because that's the bigger war that we're in. Praise God that he's given us his armor. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. God gives us an armor that we need to fight the spiritual battles that we, that we face. And finally, we need him to bear fruit. And what I mean by bear fruit is like to produce anything that actually has spiritual, lasting, eternal value. It's only going to happen through Jesus. This is what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 4-5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How, how useless is a branch that's not connected to the vine? Have you ever seen a branch that's not connected to a vine bear fruit? No, it can't. That branch, when it's separated from the vine, dies. And it's not worth anything except firewood. But a branch that's connected to the vine, is that, that's actually where the fruit starts to come out. And that's exactly what God is trying to help us realize. He's like, man, do you want me to, to produce spiritual fruit in your life? Like, do you want to be a person that starts to become more like God, that grows in the fruit of the Spirit, right? The person that grows in love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you want that? You've got to be connected to him. Do you want to be someone that, that sees your, your friends and your family and the people around you uh, have their eyes open to who God is, start to have their lives transformed, start to come into relationship with him. If that's going to happen, it, the, the only way that's going to happen is through being connected to Jesus. We, we can't produce fruit on our own. If you want to accomplish anything of lasting eternal value in your life, you're going to have to do it through depending on God. All of the other stuff that you're able to do in your own strength honestly isn't going to matter in the long run. How much money you make in this life is not going to matter in eternity. The business that you built is not going to matter in eternity. The house that you lived in is not going to matter in eternity. If you want to bear real spiritual fruit that actually has value, it's only going to happen through the power of God. You see, 
if we want to be a mature church, we want to be mature Christians, we have to be people that learn to be dependent on our Lord. Remember, in our culture, mature, uh, independence is a sign of maturity, but in the kingdom, dependence is a sign of maturity. And, and living dependent doesn't mean powerless. Once again, in our culture, the more dependent you are, essentially the more powerless you are. Who are the most dependent people? The least powerful ones. They're little kids or maybe people that are dis- disabled. They're more dependent, right? They have less power to assert their own will in this world. But for us, it's the exact opposite. When you try to live independent of the Lord, you're just, you're just as powerless as that branch that's trying to produce fruit when it's not connected to the vine. Because you can't do anything to have real success where it matters most. But when you live dependent on God, that is when you start to live in real power. Look at what Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1. This is after he had been crucified. He resurrected. It's it's shortly before he ascends into heaven. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When will they receive power? When the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Their dependence on God is what would actually give them the power to be able to do something that they would not otherwise be able to do. And guys, I I believe it because frankly, there's no explanation for how in the world Christianity got off the ground aside from the miraculous power of God. I mean, you think about the situation that these guys were in. The, the, The man that they had just depended on and followed for three years has been crucified by the Roman government. And now they have a message that they're going to run around telling everyone that they saw him raised from the dead. Now, how persuasive do you think you would be if you went around telling people that you saw someone raised from the dead? Do you think you would be believed? Almost certainly not. But here we are, 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world where Christianity has spread all across the globe, uh, under all sorts of persecution. These guys were persecuted for the first 300 years of his existence. Christianity was persecuted heavily in the area where it started. Uh, all of the disciples were martyred except for John. All this kind of stuff. There were a million reasons to see why Christianity should have failed, and yet somehow it didn't. I really don't think that there's any explanation aside from the power of God going before them as they were his witnesses. And Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And here we are at the ends of the earth praising and worshiping God because by his power the gospel moved forward. You know, this living in dependence on the Lord is one of the great differences in the lives of a Christian versus anyone else. The reality of our dependence on God and our need to have consistent connection with him is what makes our faith something so much more than a simple code that we live by. There are a lot of people that have codes that they live by. I talk to so many people that are like, "Uh, well, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, whatever, but like at the end of the day, all, all religions are the same. It's really just about being a good person. And, and, you know, treat each other well. And I'm like, no, no, you're, you're so missing the point, if that's what you think. You're so missing the point. We don't need another code to live by. It, that, that misses out on the whole idea of the fellowship with God that we are called into as Christians. If you think that God can be removed from Christianity, but you can keep the good teachings about how to help people, then you are missing the whole point of it. 
The whole point is that God saves us and calls us into fellowship with himself. The sin that was separating us from him is done away with. We're brought into fellowship with him, and as we're brought into fellowship with him, he transforms us by his power, not by teaching us some new kind of way that we can be better people. He literally makes us into new people. It's tragically sad that so many people, many who even proclaim to be Christians, are somehow missing out entirely on the central reality that God has called us into a relationship with himself and that he wants us to walk with him and that he wants to empower us to, and work through us to bring his kingdom here. So, if being dependent on God is so important, then like how, how do we do that? How do we live as people that are actually dependent on the Lord? I want to read a really cool story from the Old Testament um, you may not have heard before, but it, it gives us a good example of how to be people that live in dependence on the Lord. So this is kind of a lengthy uh, story I'm going to read. <clears throat> it comes from the book of Second Chronicles chapter 20, so if you have a Bible you can go there, but I'll also have the text for you up on the screen. This is a time where um, God's people, you, you'll see him referred to as, as Judah, uh, basically just know that this is a group of people that God has made a, a special relationship with. They're supposed to be people that follow him and keep his law, and, and God has, has given them this special land that they're living in, and, and he is uh, the God that's going to protect them there. So uh, they're finding themselves in a dangerous situation where there's some enemies coming against them. So I'm going to pick it up here in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, this is the king of Judah, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed the fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? And they have lived in it, and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zacharias, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, 
Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. I'll stop reading there, but man, that's a crazy story, right? It's a crazy story, but, but this is the word of God. Like, this is something that actually happened, and it happened when God's people realized how much they needed him and turned to him for help. And so I, I, I want to use this as a template for just helping us understand practically how is it that we can be people that recognize our need for the Lord and turn to him in dependence. Independence, not independence. Um, so I, I see five things that they did that we can apply in our lives today to, to, to be a church full of people that live dependent on the Lord. And the first is that we exalt God. Right? Like, like look how they started this, uh, this prayer. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all kingdoms and the nations, and your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. You are only going to be dependent on someone if you believe that that person is powerful enough to actually help you. And see, I think that this is a problem. Too often we depend on ourselves more than God because deep down we believe that we're more powerful than him. We actually think that we have a greater ability to get stuff done than he does. We wouldn't say this, but this is how we live when we don't seek him. A small view of God is going to keep you from depending on him. And that's going to keep you from experiencing his power. And so you see right here, the, the, the deliverance of the Lord, the calling out to the Lord, it starts with a big view of God and understanding that he is a God that actually sees, that he actually hears, that he actually has power to respond. And we see the second thing that we can do is we humble ourselves. They were honest, right? It said in, in verse 12, for we are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We do not know what to do. Man, not only do we need to acknowledge the power of God if we're going to be dependent on him, but conversely, we must realize that we have a lot of weakness. There may be a lot that you can do, but you cannot defeat your greatest enemies. You cannot defeat death by yourself. You cannot make your friends and family come to know Jesus by yourself. If we want God's help, 
then we have to be people that humble ourselves. Look at this in 1 Peter 5, 5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Think about that phrase. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Dang, like that, that's a, a weighty statement. Humility can be the difference between God giving you grace or God literally opposing you. You already have some serious enemies that are opposing you. Do you really want to add God to the list of those that are going to oppose you? When we are all about our own ends, like, like why would God want to, get to, to work through us if all we want to do is lift up our own name? Why is he going to give grace to help there like, if we're all about ourselves? God wants what's good for you, and he wants to glorify his own name. And humility is essential for both of those things. We can't expect him to work through us if all we want to do is lift up our own name and steal all the credit for what he does. One of the important things about the kingdom of God is that God is king. Right? Like this whole series, we've been talking about kingdom culture. What's it look like to have a culture where we live with God as our actual king? Well, one of those things is that we humble ourselves before him and realize that, that he's great and he's powerful and he's the one to be followed and that we are actually dependent on him. And so we exalt God, we humble ourselves, and then we seek God. To finish that verse in, in, in verse 12, they said, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love this. They didn't know what to do, but their eyes were on God. And that's the posture of a person that's dependent upon him. Lord, I, I, I need you to show me what to do because there's a lot of things, a lot of times in life where I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. Well, praise God that I can turn my eyes towards him. And, and we can seek him through prayer. Uh, an individual prayer life, of course, is very important. You see this in Jesus. He'd go off and he'd get into a desolate place. He'd pray. You saw he had a very vibrant relationship with the Father. And, and Jesus even lived in a way where he's like, man, I only, I only say the things that the Father tells me to. I only do the things the Father tells me to do. And so we need to be people that, that seek him, of course, on an individual basis, but also, frankly, on, on a corporate basis. That's what was happening here. It talks about how all of Judah was coming together to seek the Lord. And when I talked in the beginning of the sermon about apologizing for how I've led our church, I don't think I've done a good enough job helping us collectively seek the Lord. You know, you see corporate prayer, the church coming together and seeking God all the time throughout the, the book of Acts. Look how many times you'll, you'll see the church like coming together and praying. And, and somehow, for whatever reason, I think in our, our modern culture, it's like we turn prayer primarily into an individual thing. And it's, it's not that it's not an individual thing. It's just that it's also a corporate thing. God wants us to be people that, that pray together to him and seek him together as his church. And, and you don't know where he's going to provide guidance through that. You see, all of Judah came together. There was one prophet that was specifically talked about that God ended up speaking through that helped instruct the rest of Judah. There's powerful things that can happen when the church comes and prays together. God moves when his people pray. You see that his response to their prayer here in this story, right? He tells them what to do and he delivers them from the, the evil. 
And, and of course, the history of the church proves that God responds when his people pray. I told you uh, about Acts and, and how often you see the church coming together and praying. You know what else you see happening a ton in Acts? The gospel moving forward, people getting saved. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was, was even just reminded how much not just the church is a testimony to the power of prayer, but like this specific church is a testimony to the power of prayer. I don't know how many of you guys know our story, but I was thinking back on that some more this week, and, and um, it always amazes me that, that we're even standing where we are right now. Like I remember back in 2009, there was a guy named Matt Hildebrand moved down here, and uh, you know, usually when you plant a church, you send like a team of people, right? Like you already have a, a core group of people that are all going to work together. You've got a lot of people that are already bought in. Uh, that was not the case. This guy, Matt, he moved down here by himself um, with, with his family, but like there was no core team, nothing like that. And he just felt like the Lord was calling him to do some sort of ministry here on, on UC's campus. And the first thing he did actually fell through, and, and then eventually he's like, you know what, I, th- I feel like God's calling me to plant a church here. And it's like, cool, you literally have nobody <laughs> here on campus to help you with that. And uh, I remember I was a student up at Bowling Green State University at the time. And uh, we're like, cool, uh, we're going to send a mission team down to come just try and help. And, and we did a bunch of evangelism. And uh, we found one person that was interested in trying to help get a church started here on this campus. And this is before any other churches that you know that are like um, doing a lot on the campus. Like none of those were around at the time. Uh, and so we were, um, we, we found this one guy, he's like, cool, Matt started this Bible study with this guy, and he had a couple friends, and that was, that was where it started, and then summer hit, and I moved down here in the summer, and I was interning, and, and what we did is, literally, we had, like, we had no church. There was almost nobody that we could disciple, there was nobody to have Bible studies with, really, so all we did was spend our time going out doing evangelism and praying. We prayed a ton that God would come and move on this campus. And that whole summer, we did not see a single person come to faith uh, through that, all the evangelism that we were doing. But what we did see was God responded to those prayers. And I, I went back to Bowling Green, and, and God brought in a harvest of freshmen that were just excited to, to, to believe that what, what God wanted to do through planting a church here on this campus. And through that, like, the church kind of just started to to build up, and they started inviting their friends, and people started getting saved, and like, it, it grew into what you see here today. And you look at this, and say, there, there's really no reason that that should have worked. Like, a guy that was like almost 40 by himself walking around down here on campus, like, how in the world was God going to work through something like that? To, to plant the church here on this campus, and say, well, it was through prayer. Like, God, God moved through the prayers of his people, and the cool thing is, when God plants this church, like, remember, when God moves, it's never about us. So this church isn't even planted as an end in itself. It's just a tool in God's hand to be able to reach this campus even more and more. And he's raised up more laborers over the time. And, and our prayer and our hope is that God is going to totally transform this campus. That more and more people are going to come to know him to the point where University of Cincinnati is literally a different place because of how many people love and worship Jesus here. So man, may we be a church that believes that God responds to his people as we seek him. And you know, not only do we seek him, but we also need to listen to him. We see that the Spirit of the Lord came upon that man, Jehaziel, and uh, 
he told him what the Lord had to say. He said, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. We need the trustworthy word of the Lord if we are going to be people that are dependent on him. And thankfully, we have that readily available to us. We preach it here every single week. That, that we have God's written word to, to help us know all of the kind of promises that he's made to us. We study this consistently, and it's in this that we can put our hope, knowing that God has spoken. And you know, there may even be times where God raises up someone like Jehaziel here uh, to, to speak a word that's timely. And, and we believe that God may work in that way amongst us too, that, that the Spirit can, can move in someone. Of course, it's always going to line up with what God's Word says, but um, that he may even have a timely word that he wants to deliver to encourage us to listen to him. But finally, the, the, the fifth thing I would say that we need to do if we're going to be people that are dependent on the Lord is that we need to respond to God, right? It's not good enough to, to just listen. When we listen to him, we need to actually act upon what he says. And so in verse 17 there, he said, you will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. So they knew militarily they could not win this battle. They had no chance. And if they hadn't sought the Lord or didn't trust this word, then frankly they probably would have like sent out a delegation to surrender or something like that, try and make some sort of terms for peace. Um, but instead they listened to what God said. They believed that he'd win this battle for them. And so they had to stand firm. And as a matter of fact, you, you saw when we read the whole passage, they're like, their battle plan was actually to send the singers out ahead of the army. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting, you know, uh, tip of the spear there, the singers. Uh, but that's what they did. They, they, and what the singers were doing was, was praising the Lord and reminding the people who was actually going to win this battle for them. It was their dependence on God that gave them the courage to do what they needed to do. And guys, we need courage to fight the battle that we're in. It's hard to walk by faith and not by sight. There's times that I can feel like we're losing the battle, but we know that in the end, God is going to win. And so, if we want to accomplish anything worthwhile as a church, we need to be a church that depends on the Lord. We need to have this posture where we exalt him, where we humble ourselves, where we seek him, where we listen to him, and where we respond to him. Our vision here at H2O is to see God's eternal kingdom fully realized, right? Like we see that picture in Revelation 22 of what God's kingdom is going to be like it's, when it's fully here. It's beautiful. It's awesome. We, we want to see that, but we can't bring that in on ourselves. All, all we can do is live as people that, that are, are faithfully in line with that kingdom, and it, it, it as, as we do that, it just, that kingdom is a little bit more here each and every day. But God's the one that's going to have to bring it in in fullness, both in our hearts and in the people around us. You know, our mission, we say that we want to be people, we want to be a church that makes fully devoted followers of Jesus. That is not going to happen aside from the power of God. It's not. Like, we need God to transform our hearts. We need God to transform the hearts of the people that we're reaching out to. So, man, let us be a church that seeks 
the Lord. And one of the ways I told you that we can do that is, is through praying together. And that's actually what we're going to do right now. So band, you guys can come back up here. Um, I'm going to lead us in something that is pretty similar to Scripture-guided prayer. It really is Scripture-guided prayer. Um, but I, I want you to be active in this. Um, prayer is not a time for us to kind of like zone out or just chill or whatever. Like this is a time we're approaching the throne of God. Uh, there was a, a pastor I heard this week. He was saying, man, we don't pray before the work. Prayer is the work. Like we, we get to come and, and, and oftentimes we treat prayer like it's just something like, okay, yeah, let me do this and then I'll go get down to doing the real stuff. It's like, man, this is our opportunity to get in the trenches together right now. And, and ask that the Lord will, will do big things that only he can do. And so we're going to actually pray through some scripture like we do sometimes in the scripture guided prayer. Um, but I'm actually going to give you guys, I, I want you to get a little bit more active. Uh, this may be uncomfortable for some of you. If it is, I apologize for that, but I think it'll be valuable. Um, and the band's going to start playing here a little bit. I'm going to read some scripture, and then I'm going to ask you to, to respond accordingly to that, okay? So to, to give an example, um, we're just going to walk through some of those parts of the Second Chronicles 20 story that we just read. Or in Second Chronicles 26, it says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. What I want us to do together as a church right now is to proclaim the ways that God is powerful. And so, like I said, the band you guys can play. Um, and basically, with, with a few people around you, maybe you can get into small groups. You don't have to get in a group. You can just say it out loud if you want to. You can pray silently. Um, but, but I encourage you to even just express some of these things out loud. Encourage your brothers and sisters that are around you. And just basically pray off of this prompt. Um, God, show your power by whatever. How is it that we as a church need to be calling out for God to show his power? I want us to lift that up to him right now. So let, let's do that. Proclaim the way.